The cannabis industry is growing almost as fast as the cannabis and hemp being planted and harvested. Where, when, and how fast will the cannabis and hemp industries continue to climb? Who will be the people leading the charge into that promised land of profit? Let's pursue those answers and more with the Plant Profits, powered by Protus Global. Thank you for joining us here on Plant Profits. I'm Vern Davis. I am your host. Plant Profits is fueled by Protus Global People Solutions. And thanks again for joining us today. I'm real excited, been looking forward to this conversation uh, with my next guest here. Uh, my next guest started an illicit market, went to jail, paid his dues. Then he got the golden ticket, social equity cultivator's license. Now he's built a family business that will build generational wealth for himself and his family, of course. And we're all in, in uh, search of doing that for our family. So that's going to be an exciting part of our conversation. My guest is the founder of Ball Family Farms, the first vertically integrated minority-owned social equity commercial cannabis facility in the City of Angels, Los Angeles. Chris Ball. Chris Ball, good morning. How are you, man? Hey, man, that was a great introduction, man. How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing good. <laughs> no, uh, uh, good morning uh, to everyone out there. Uh, good morning, Vern. Nice to meet you, my brother. Uh, it's an honor to be on here and be able to, to talk some cannabis and uh, generational wealth. So thank you for having me. Well, I'd love to do that. I'm excited about that, man. So look... Uh, your background and your journey is so, so interesting to me. Uh, and, and maybe not as unique as people would think it could be. Um, we, we, we all know folks that have had a journey, right? Like that. So I really, I want to go back. I want to go back to LA back in the day. Where'd you grow up in LA? Um, I was born on uh, 94th and Hoover, brother, in South Central Los Angeles. Okay. So I was born there, um, but I grew up, I actually grew up in a small little suburb about an hour east of there uh, called Roland Heights. Okay. So, so what's where, the significance of that hour? So that hour, <laughs> um, it just, you know, it takes you away from yeah. the bullets and uh, it takes you away from the drug dealing and, and gang fighting like out in front of the house. Yeah. It takes, it takes you about an hour away from that East. So that, that's the significance of that hour. Um, but that's you know, yeah, but yeah, man. So, you know, uh, being born over there, I, I, I left, uh, my, my mom was smart enough to get me out of South central, uh, by the age of seven. Um, okay. and it was only because, you know, my uncles and, you know, my cousins, everybody was, you know, I lived right there on Hoover, which is a really big um, Crip gang right yeah. there in Los Angeles. So my uncles and, and every and cousins, and everybody were getting into gangs and drug dealing very heavy. I saw a lot, you know, uh, one of my friends was shot in the stomach, you know what I'm saying, at that age already. Um, you mean that you're I, talking about before you left at seven? You before saw I left. Yeah, yeah, before I left. Yeah, this happened before I left. Um there were shootings outside of my um, outside of my preschool, you know, that I can remember playing out there on the playground and watching two dudes run down the street, shooting back and forth at each other. Yeah. Um, 
so it was really, you know, it was rough, man. We're talking, you know, 19, I think 84, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it wasn't, it, it, it wasn't a, a safe time. So my mom uh, was smart enough to try to get me out of there, you know, very early and move me to the suburb where I could kind of transition, you know? Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Well, smart lady. She, yeah, she knew she had a, she had a vision for you, Chris, you know, and it wasn't it that, it was you not know, that. it wasn't that. So you went, you went to this place an hour from South Central LA. You grew up, Now, how did you get there? Tell me about sports and the role sports played yeah. in your life. Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, so once I got uh, to Roland Heights, yeah. you know, that's kind of where the transition came in. It was kind of culture shock. There were a lot of white kids um, running around where I was used to seeing black and brown, you know, typically every day. Um, So I came in, you know, in, into school there and um, I started to make the transition, but, you know, there were not many black kids there. So I became, you know, where I thought it was going to, well, I guess maybe where you would think it would be a racial thing where I would Mm -hmm. be an outcast. It wasn't, you know, the white kids pretty much were kind of fascinated by, by me and my ability to run fast and dance and, (laughs) You know, <laughs> like that, man. So it was like, you know, I was really embraced. You know, I was I was embraced early on. You know, everybody wanted to be my friend. Everybody wanted to play on my team at recess. So yeah. it, you know, it was a it was an easy transition for me. And that's where you know my stepfather uh, put a football in my hand. You know, okay. and was like, hey, you know, channel some of that energy you got and some of that, you know, maybe some anger I was kind of holding on to being away from my cousins and my family and stuff like that. Sure. You know, he put the football in my hand at eight and it was on. It was on after that. You know, what I mean, I made all stars every year. You know, I yeah. started football like crazy and it, it just became, you know. I what became, high school? What high school, Chris? This this was so this is so when I started playing football in Roland Heights, I was playing in the junior All-American League um, okay. in that city from the time I was eight until I got to high school, which was Roland High School. Okay, um, and I played my freshman year at Roland, but we were trash. And my dad, my stepdad, was not happy about it. He was okay, like, you know, this kid has way more potential than what this school can offer him. So he packed us up, and at my freshman year, and moved us again out to Rialto, where I attended Eisenhower High School. Okay, and he there moved you go. us there just for, just so that I could play football at a comp- at a level at a, that would at challenge you. Yeah, yeah, at a, at a CIF Division One level, that would you know that would challenge me and, and put me around some kids that had my ability. Yeah, and I went to high school there, and and he was right, man. We won, I won a national championship uh, my junior year uh, in 1994 with uh, with the Eisenhower Eagles. We beat Modern Day 56 to three. Whoa, we had a bunch of a bunch of uh, talented guys. Um, our probably our biggest standout probably then was R.J. Sauer. He wound up getting drafted. Um, yeah. In round by the Jacksonville Jaguars and he yeah. was a really good friend of mine so it panned right. out it worked out it worked no out. that was that was a good plan so what yeah. what what role did the drugs play up until before you went off we're going to talk right. about where you went but what role right. did drug, drugs play in your life so drugs came in obviously you know I, I remember drugs you know back when I was in LA you know right. in preschool you know for that right. matter I remember seeing my uncles out there you know selling dope you know, selling weed on the street. Um, and then when I got to Rolling Heights, when I trained, when we got to Rolling Heights, um, my cousin, ironically enough, my younger cousin, when I was 16, um, gave me my first my first ounce of weed to sell. And mm. at this point, he's living in Rolling Heights, but I'm living in Rialto, 
Okay. Mm. But we would see each other all the time because uh, my stepfather and his stepfather both were professional bowlers. They were brothers. So on the weekends, I would either go over there. I would normally go out back to Rolling Heights and hang out there. Now, wait a minute. What age were you again? 16. Okay. Okay. But it was, you know, growing up, it, 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 we felt like cigarettes to me because from the time I was eight until the time, well, until I can remember, my dad, my stepdad, he smoked weed in the house. So after, after we'd have dinner, my dad would go over to the couch, pull his tray out from underneath the couch and roll up his joint and sit on the couch and smoke his joint after dinner. Man ahead of his time, Chris. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> it was like they were running the Just Say No campaign, and I was going to school like, what you mean, Just Say No? My dad smoked this. Like, my cousin smoked this. this exactly. Right? Exactly. No, so that's, that's kind of where it, it came. You know, that's where the idea of, of marijuana came into my brain as, okay, this is not something that's bad. Why is it Just Say No? My dad smokes it. You know, my yeah. uncle smoked it. My grandma smoked it. Uh, yeah, I was like, I don't get it. You know, so it was it was part of the roots, man. It was it was it was part of the environment, and man, was, you know, it, I, absolutely, we, we all saw it. Hey, look, we're gonna take a break. We're gonna come back, yeah. and we're gonna see how, how how in the hell you went to Northern California. So we, we're gonna we're gonna talk about that. We'll absolutely. continue our discussions with the founder of Ball Family Farms, Mr. Chris Ball, having some fun. We'll be back. Plant profits will return so our sponsors can profit from these messages. Doc Rob, the concierge for better living. My guests say, Razzie Berry, we're talking about nature, naturopathic medicine, as well as the concept of prevention and preventing disease. Empower people to live a naturopathic lifestyle, get to know your body, understand its rhythms, remove toxins, and use natural alternatives whenever possible. 90 to 95% of cancers are due to environment and lifestyle risk factors. That's a huge number. That means that cancer is preventable. The Concierge for Better Living with Doc Rob. Only on CannabisRadio.com Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now About a game for your phone gonna make you say Wow! The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash Little by little your empire grows large Put the big celebrities inside your entourage You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Chichin Chong Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong The name of the game is Hemping, that's the point Download and play while you light yourself a joint the business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot-proofed by the man who run high times. Oh, yeah. Get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Trends and technology, processes and products. We cover these areas and more on the cutting edge of cannabis. Be informed from the latest initiators of new innovation. Learn about the latest breakthroughs and best practices in the cannabis and hemp industries. Better products, better infrastructure, and better sustainability. The Cutting Edge of Cannabis, consulted by the American Cannabis Company. The plant profits are back to lead the pursuit of the promised land of plant profit. Only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back. I'm Vern Davis. 
your host today, uh, Plant Profits, fueled by Protus Global People Solutions. We're here with Chris Ball. Chris Ball of Ball Family Farms, the first vertically integrated minority-owned social equity commercial cannabis facility in Los Angeles. And Chris and I were just, we're talking about his childhood and, and how and, and how cannabis got into his life and when did it start to form some impressions. And that's what we're doing right now. We're going to move forward. So, uh, Chris, so you you went to Cal. You you went up to Ber- how did this how did this happen? Man, so so how I got to Berkeley was uh, yeah. after I graduated um, high school, I took a year off, um, did some touring and stuff like that with an R and B group by the name of Immature uh, back in the day. Okay, and. Um, wind up actually, you know, forming my own group and, and getting a record deal on Virgin, but I, it just really wasn't where my heart was. You know, I was okay. out there, I was on tour, uh, we were having some success and, um, you know, I would see football, you know, back on, on the TV, I would see training camp, I would see mini camp, man, and I would just get really sad. And it got to the point where my group members and my manager could see and feel the fact that I wasn't happy. So, you know, they came to me and they said, look, man, if you really want to leave, you know, if you're really not happy, go ahead. So I left and I went back. I left the group. We were in the middle of tour. I packed up my stuff. I left and I went back uh, back to Roland Heights and I attended uh, Mount Sac Junior College. Okay. Started back playing football. Okay. Played football there. Sold weed out of my backpack to put myself through school. Okay. You know, and then okay. um, wind up getting a full blown ride scholarship, athletic scholarship to go to the University of California, Berkeley to play football. So that's how I ended up in the Bay Area. That's how you, that's, that's how, now during this time you were still engaged with, oh, yeah. with cannabis, oh, yeah. right? Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, my cousin, like I said before, before we took the break, my cousin Earl um, actually gave me my first ounce and showed me how to break that down, showed me how to sell it, you know, yeah. showed me all that stuff. And um, once he showed me that, I was so fascinated by it. I was so fascinated by how fast the money came and I was fascinated by him. You know, he was my little rich cousin who, you know, was balling. Yeah. And so I just soaked up the game from him. I just, you know, it was like, you know, Daniel LaRusso becoming Mr. Miyagi. I just took everything that he was doing and I amplified it. So when I got to, to Mount Sac, it was yeah. easy. You know, every ball, my peers and stuff smoked weed uh, in junior college on campus. I was like, it was ready made. Like I just stepped on campus and it was like, everybody knew who to come to if they wanted some treats. And Unbelievable. So there you, know, you go. Gas in my car, <laughs> my books, all that stuff. <laughs> sharp in you, you're a man ahead of your time, brother. Right. That's what was going on there. You know, yeah. you're a man ahead of your time. So, okay. So when did it all go bad? So after, after, uh, after, um, Berkeley, after, uh, six years of, uh, of pro football, I got back, I came back to LA. Um, I was done. I had retired. Um, I had finished my last season over in Canada, which is where I got bit by the bug of of cultivating actually when I was playing in the CFL. Um, that's where I kind of started, you know, learning that, Hey, there's more to this plant than just, you know, buying it from Julio. Okay. Uh, Hold on, Chris. So, so you spent a couple years in the NFL, right? I spent uh, I spent uh, a, two years uh, in the NFL, but I was on the practice practice roster. Uh, okay, uh, with with the Niners, and then went over to NFL Europe in Berlin, Germany. Okay, so you went up to that's when NFL Europe was man. That was a good league. 
It was a good league. I played for the Berlin Thunder. It yeah. Was awesome. I loved it. I yeah. Loved it. Yeah. I had a good time. Yeah. And, and then then you came back to Canada. And I came back, yeah, and I was gonna sign. Uh, I was gonna sign a deal with uh, the Baltimore Ravens, but I, you know, they were lagging. So the CFL called, and I signed my first contract with uh, British Columbia with the BC Lions over in Vancouver. Okay, great city. Vancouver, Vancouver's great a great city. city. <laughs> I love it, man. It's, yeah, it reminds, it's a lot. Reminds me a lot of LA, honestly. Yeah. Um, got over to Vancouver, and that's when I got bit by the bug of uh, a growing of actually okay. of seeing okay. the plant. You know actually from start to finish. Well, how did that happen? How did that, how did that come together? Yeah. Yeah. So a teammate of mine um, was with this girl over there, this Canadian girl and her brother was a grower. Okay. Um, So during after practice and sometimes after games, you know, her brother would invite us over to his farm, you know what I mean? To kind of walk around because he knew we were California boys and he understood what weed, how valuable it was in California, especially in Los Angeles, it didn't have the same value over in Canada because it was legal and it was everywhere. Okay. So that's where he, you know, took a liking to us. Cause he's like, look, you know, I can give you this stuff, you know, at this number, you guys can sell it down there for a mm-hmm. cert- for a different number. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't mind telling you this now because, uh, uh <laughs> what is that statute of limitations? Like that. <laughs> but, you know, we, we had started trafficking, you know, from Canada in, into into the U.S., you know, we, yeah. would, we would pack up and drive across the border and drop weed down here in L.A. for ourselves in the off season, and that's how oh. I supplemented my income. But the the idea of cultivating started there with him, you know. Okay, we'd go over and I'd see the plants at week two, at week okay. four, and I'd be like, "Damn, how yeah. does this?" You know, and then I see it all the way to week eight, week nine, and they're fully grown buds, fully fully vibrant, and I'm like. Holy shit, man! This process is. Oops, I'm sorry. My, can I cuss? My man, hey, it's adult radio. <laughs> you beat that up. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that's where the fascination became with that, with, with, with cultivating. Um, so I finished Canada. I'm done with Canada. Uh, I come, um, I come back to LA. Um, money ain't ain't what it's supposed to be. Um, okay. So then I go back into distribution, into selling. Okay. And at this point, this is where I linked up. Um, with a very, very heavy guy that was working for a heavy, heavy uh, drug cartel. Um, and I got involved with him. And about six months later, uh, the feds were knocking at my door telling me I was looking at a 10-year mandatory minimum for distributing marijuana across the United States, 2,000 pounds. Well, that's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> That's, that's, a a, that's a car load. That's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> so, no, so no okay, so this goes down. How long did you go away for? So I was looking at a 10-year mandatory minimum. I, I signed a deal, a plea deal uh, for three years, but I, okay. only served, I only served a month in prison before I, um, I bailed out. I bailed myself out. And um, I, uh, fortunately for me, I had a really great attorney who said that um, after I signed my plea deal and I, ba- I bailed out, I was on pretrial release. And um, my attorney worked out a deal with the judge and said, hey, my client does not have to report for sentencing until your target, which is the number one on the case, has stopped fighting the case and has been sentenced. Well, that fight went on for four years. That number oh. one on that case, the target, he fought that case for four years. So by the time he was done, I'd been out on pretrial release and hadn't gotten an ounce of trouble and had been holding a job for that four years. Got it. a thousand hours of community service. So by the time I went in, the judge, my, my lawyer argued, hey, 
this has been hanging over his head for four years. He's mm-hmm. rehabilitated. He's had, he hasn't gotten any trouble. He's done community service. And the judge looked at me and told me, Mr. Ball, I've never seen somebody turn in this many hours of community service. You are free to go. You have time served. And I walked out of there a free guy. Awesome. 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 <laughs> I'm glad. I'm happy. Yeah. I'm happy. So now, now let's, let's talk about when all of this education you got since mm-hmm. basically you were eight years old, mm-hmm. you put it, you put it to work, you made some money, you got in trouble, you you did your dream. You played professional football. Yep. You know, you played it in yep. three places. You played it, <laughs> you played it in yep. the US, you played it in Europe, you played it in Canada, you got football done. Yep. Right? Yep. You went to jail, you come out, you learn about cultivation. Your your thought process, man, about the about the plant changed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, 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 it went into a different direction. So how did it get to this? So how we got to this is when yeah. I was in prison um, for that month, there's a there's a place in prison called the law library. And this is a place that, you know, inmates go and you study other cases and you meet mm-hmm. other people, you know, who are kind of studying their ca- studying their case. You know, when you go to federal prison, it's not like it's not like state prison. Right. It's not county. If you're in federal prison, you are successful at what you did. Whatever you were doing, you made some money doing it. You yeah. weren't a petty, you're not a petty criminal. You're you're an advanced criminal, right? You're a when baller. Get involved, right. <laughs> so while I was in there, I was talking to a couple guys in the law library and they were asking me about my case. They're like, man, you got charged with, you know, 2,000 pounds. Like, what were you doing? Like, you were just middlemanning that weed? And I'm like, yeah. They're like, well, how much were you making? I'm like, oh, about 50 bucks, you know, sometimes 25 bucks a pound. Mm-hmm. And they go, why weren't why didn't why weren't you just growing the weed? And there and we start we started doing the math. Had okay. you done two thousand pounds and you grew the weed, <laughs> you would have made probably a thousand dollars a pound off the weed instead of middlemanning it, buying it from the grower and only making fifty on the transaction. So a light went off in my head. I said, you know what? You're right. I said, why was I doing that? Plus, I'd already been bit by that bug in Canada, right? I already knew who I could call to kind of give me some advice. Man, you know what, Chris? <laughs> I tell you what, you know what they always say: follow the money. Follow the follow money. Follow the money. That, I went that, in the prison <laughs> with, a, with a diploma and came out with a master's. Absolutely. We're gonna take a break and we're gonna get into specifically your business today and talk Absolutely. about talk talk about the, the Ball Family brand. So we're we're gonna we're gonna definitely uh, uh, get into that. We'll continue our discussion. And uh, after a minute, and uh, take a break, and we'll see you guys on the other side. And I'll be here with uh, with my guest, Chris Ball. Plant profits will return, so our sponsors can profit from these messages. The National Cannabis Industry Association presents the 2020 Cannabis Caucus Event Series from March 10th through March 26th. Don't miss this exclusive opportunity for NCIA members to network, learn about regional issues from influential guest speakers, and get the latest news about NCIA's federal policy work and emerging topics. Look for this year's only tour of Cannabis Caucus events coming to Portland, Denver, St. Louis, Detroit, Chicago, Newark, Sacramento, and Los Angeles this March. Stay connected, get informed, and take action to protect our industry and your business. Register now for your complimentary tickets at thecannabisindustry.org slash events. 
elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at S-H-O-O-G-I-E-S dot com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet, take-anywhere treat. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. <laughs> they have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA-free and lead-free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. The plant profits are back to lead the pursuit of the promised land of plant profit. Only on CannabisRadio.com. Final six. Dang, this went too fast. Dude. I know it, man. It's flying by. We can talk forever. Right. <laughs> I'm going to get right to it. Yeah, we're going to get into the business because I want you to spend some time on on, on, on your family business, okay? Okay. Right. Okay. Cool. We're going to get right into it. All right. Welcome back. Hey, I'm Vern Davis. I'm your host of Plant Profits. Plant Profits is fueled by Protus Global People Solutions. I'm here today with a fascinating guest, Mr. Chris Ball, who leads the Ball Family Farms business, the first vertically integrated minority-owned social equity commercial cannabis facility in the city of Angels, Los Angeles. And um, we're real excited about the conversation today. We've learned a lot about Chris and his journey, and it's fascinating. Chris, I want to get into now, really want to get into the Ball family business and, and the SCP that you have set up. Tell us how that came about and tell us what you're doing, your mission, and what's going on. Absolutely. Um, so uh, about, I would say about uh, two and a half years ago, yeah. uh, I was out. Um, I had started growing, um, got my first um, cultivation facility uh, out there in the out here in the valley in uh, Van Nuys. And um, a partner of mine, uh, informed me that LA was uh, doing this initiative, um, uh, launching this program called the Social Equity Program. And -hmm. what that meant was it was something that the city had put together to to, um, uh, give back to people who suffered from the war on drugs. And I said, okay, that's cool. I said, I won't be able to get one of those because I have a felony. You know, I had uh, Mm -hmm. been released from prison. Um, I said, I got a felony for this stuff. So they're not going to give me a license. He said, no, you're wrong. That's exactly who they're going to give it to, people like you. It's kind of like a way of uh, affirmative action. They're trying yeah. to give back to you guys. A little payback, uh, yeah. Right. So I said, okay. So I went down to the city, and sure enough, he was right. I applied and uh, wind up getting, they wind up giving me um, uh, my license. So at that point, you know, me being, you know, um, a street guy and an, mm-hmm. uh, a traditional market guy, it made me kind of a, um, because LA had just released this initiative, 
everything wasn't in place, right? So yeah. they would give you the license, but there were no government aids. There were there was really no money. Um, the process was very shaky. The city really couldn't figure out what to do with it. Uh, but for me and me being a traditional market guy, I didn't need any, I did, really didn't need anything. And because of my education, um, mm-hmm. I kind of knew how to navigate. Right. So mm-hmm. uh, I got the license. I had my own shoebox money because I had been working in a traditional market for the past 15 years of my life. So I didn't need an okay. investor. Okay. Um, I, I went out and uh, I was building grows on my own at this time, illegal ones. So I had a contractor. I knew how to build. So I okay. called my contractor. He introduced me to a woman by the name of Ebony Anderson, who was a, a urban planner. We linked up. And from there, man, it, it was over. Um, she helped me through the process of, you know, getting my license, going down there, doing uh, plans, uh, going through plan check. Um, knew at the time that my younger brother was the business brain. I was the talent. I knew how to, you know, grow the weed and sell the weed, but I really mm-hmm. didn't know how to run business the way he did. He kind of comes from that. So I asked my little brother to come aboard and, and run, be the president of the company and run the day-to-day business operations. So he okay. agreed. Okay. He agreed. So now I have my younger brother, Charles, and I have Ebony. Um, that's handled. I have my younger brother, Charles, who's running day-to-day. Ebony's running compliance said, you know what? I need a workhorse in here. And I had a younger cousin, the brother of Earl, who gave okay. me the first ounce back then. The brother of Earl. I love that. Brother of Earl. The brother of Earl. Now that's a movie. We got to do that. The, movie. the brother yeah. of Earl. All right. So Mikey comes into the picture and Mikey's just a workhorse. He also plays football, but he loves to work with his hands. So I said, you know what? You're going to run um, the inside of the, uh, uh, of, the, of the cultivation. You're going to be my cultivation manager. You're going to run the inside of this facility. She sure. said, okay. We all banded arms, got together, man, and we started growing. We started producing. We started to be compliant. Um, you know, we brought in some more employees. Chucky, my brother Charles, measured those employees were paid on time. And yeah. I went out and did what I did. I went out and 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 talked to all of my relationships that I was that I had from the traditional market. Yeah. And, you, and those guys were the guys that now own a lot of these dispensaries that are kind of running the cannabis industry. So it just clicked, you know. It, I, it all came all the together at the right time. You know, like the like that's the wild. Yeah, line, brother, and it just it just took off. It took off. Man, congratulations! That is that is awesome. So let's talk about now with COVID nineteen. What is happening to your business? You're a small business guy. The feds are coming down with a lot of money for small businesses. But at the same time, I'm seeing that the flour and and edibles are spiking. So what's what's going on? Talk to me. It's insane. You would think (laughs) that cannabis is a roll of toilet paper right now. I don't. I love it. I get it, but I don't get it. Right? People are hoard buying cannabis as if it's toilet paper or food. I mean, our our uh, our we're up about forty five percent in our business over the past month. Yeah, you know, uh, they, they, these dispensaries can't keep it on the shelf, and we're gaining more and more dispensaries. We're getting into more and more shops, and people okay. just hoard buying, hoard buying cannabis. So, um, I guess if you got to stay home and yeah. you can't go nowhere, I guess what people want to do is eat and smoke. Man, well, it, it's like that. You like you go in a grocery store; the center of the store is empty. It's empty. Yeah. It's empty. The center it's, of the store is empty, yeah. and and quite frankly, which was kind of interesting. Uh, cannabis is almost like the center of the store now. 
Yeah, yes, right. Yes, and that's how we think about it. And and it's a necessary thing. I'm telling you, it's stressful staying at home. I know. The, the state of California <laughs> has deemed this thing an essential need, and and the and consumers and patients are taking advantage of it. It's, yeah. it's fascinating to me, man, because I think back to when I got arrested for this and now it's been considered an essential need. You know, now right. we're allowed, I'm allowed to get in my car and go to work and produce more of this, more of this plant. Um, it's just fascinating, man. It just for, for, so from how far we've come um, to where the, the industry is now with it, it's just really fascinating. And I'm, I feel really, truly blessed uh, to be a part of it. No, it, it's great. The, the plan is taking you on a journey. It's taking you to places you never thought you'd go. And now it's paying you back. And yeah. I think that is I think that is a very, very man, a very, very cool story. The, the, the thing that is still interesting to me, and I just really want to, so the, even though, you know, when you have money, you need to, that's when you need to try to continue to get money. Absolutely. Right. right? Absolutely. So have you, do you have someone looking into these SBA loans uh, or and do they have, are you guys, you know, are you part of that or is that possible or is that not there yet? Have you looked into the, this new bill, this $2 trillion bill that just come mm -hmm. through? You know what, uh, Vernon, we haven't, man. And the reason why we haven't is because, honestly, um, yeah. not to be arrogant, my brother, but we don't need it. You know, yeah. this my, my our business is a cash business. You know, we're not allowed to bank uh, at this point. So, you know, I don't need a loan. I don't yeah. need... I don't need any money. I'm actually donating um, 10 yeah. grand to one of my boys churches to help some of these families out. Um, sure. So I, that's have, good. I would, I would like to leave those. We would like to leave those, those loans uh, available for the people who actually need them. You know what I mean? We're not, we're not a company or we're not, I, I, I don't need that. My company is very healthy. Uh, we're very financially stable. Um, I do have, you know, some, and I've, I've attracted some, you know, some celebrity partners at this point who would like to come in and invest. So, uh, I'm looking at that. I would I would much rather take the money if I'm going to need it from a private, you know, somebody from some private money where it's not going to be an issue than to, to take some money from a family or, or a small business that could possibly need that it. Could you know? use that, that could use it. Well, that's great, Chris. This this has been an amazing chat. I, I loved every minute of it. Stay with me to after this. But I, I just want everybody to know you can follow uh, Ball Family Farms on Facebook. One word, Ball Family Farms. Uh, on Instagram under Ball Family Farms, one word. Uh, website is www.ballfamilyfarmsla.com. So, uh, guys, get in touch with Chris Ball, his family. And, Chris, what are you wearing, man, before I let you go? So this is, uh, this is I'm just wearing one of our T-shirts and hats, man. You know, I decided they said this was going to be on, on camera, so I wanted to come uh, dressed appropriately so we can brand. But uh, this is yeah. our first logo. Um, and, and believe it or not, man, I got this logo logo of 99 designs, brother, for $99. <laughs> Dude, it is, it is, it is awesome, man. The Thank gear you, is real. I mean, Thank the gear you. is real, brother. I love it. I love it. I love There's it. There's a lot more merch on our website. So when you go to the website, uh, okay. like www.ballfamilyfarmsla.com, just click the shop button, and we got a lot of merch on there. We're actually also giving away free masks, uh, Ball Family Farm masks, right now during the COVID-19 when you buy a shirt or something like that. So uh, That's good. great. That That is that is awesome. Uh, Chris, thanks, thanks for joining us. Thank you all for joining us.
I'm Vern Davis, your host of Plant Profits, uh, fueled here by Protus Global People Solutions. You can download episodes of Plant Profits by going to CannabisRadio.com or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you get, you know, your major podcasts where you listen to your podcast, iHeartRadio, etc. Follow Protus Global through our social network including LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Man, we are everywhere. We're all over the web. Finally, learn more about how we are building companies and changing lives at Protus Global People Solution. And that's ProtusGlobal.com. P-R-O-T-I-S Global.com. Until next time, cheers. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.